So today we are discussing building momentum and we're doing it in in conjunction with watching a negotiation class, which seems weird. Um, but we watched Chris Voss uh, mastermind class on negotiation. Did anybody have trouble making the connection for themselves between negotiation and building momentum? No. I don't know. Not no. How about you? Uh, no, not exactly. It wasn't super, like I said, it wasn't super obvious, but I think when you really start to think about how you can apply negotiation to getting things done and moving forward, I think it, it makes it a little bit more clear. I like how he says at the beginning, every person every day is between, what, three to seven negotiations? Was that the numbers that he used? I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember a number, but it, I, it was... He says, yeah, I can like see where that would be seven, true. Three well, seven negotiations per and then day. you watch him pretend to be a dad, and like as a parent, I would think that there would be even more negotiations. Which I think is interesting in light of the fact that he says negotiation is a shared experience that each side is experiencing differently. He says it more poetically than that. But as a parent, how is that? You know, I guess you're both experiencing trying to get the kid off to school. Mm-hmm. But your experience, I thought that was interesting. Negotiation is a shared experience. So it's not you against the other person. You're actually sharing an experience, but you're just each experiencing it differently. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. So how would that work for you, Carla, at work? Would you, can you think of a time where you have to negotiate to get like a team or a client excited? Absolutely. Um, a lot of what I do is with event sales. So negotiating how to get somebody's business to our facility or just to Mankato in general. Um, so, so trying to help them to understand why we are a good fit for them and how we can make this work for them within the parameters that they're bringing. So they're bringing their own knowledge base and using the or the, the black swans, trying to, to suss out what those uh, little details are that make it clear to them that we would be the ideal space. So uh, for, for the recording, like, what does Black Swan mean? Black Swan is piece, pieces of information that are so unexpected that you, you didn't even critical. know you were looking for, yeah. but are critical to making the negotiation work. Okay, great. Sorry, I interrupted you, Matt. So you talked, no, you just talked about how this idea, and Black Swan is interesting, because mm-hmm. like, that idea that there's something else that isn't on the table, and I like how they introduce it at the end of the videos, that they're like, and there's this other thing of the Black Swan, because I can't tell you how many times, like, you're two hours into visiting with a client, you're even three hours into visiting with a client, and then you're like, that's why we're doing this, yeah. or... That's how it actually works, and it doesn't show up ever, at least in my opinion, in the first hour. I mean, it's always multiple hours into whatever it is that you figure out whatever the black swan is. And it can be disastrous. I feel like I I see it that way a lot, where it's like, oh, you live in St. Cloud. You're never coming to Mankato. Yeah, (laughs) that's so true. (laughs) So you're a lovely person to talk to, but you've just wasted an hour and a half of my time. Yeah, it can go both ways. <laughs> yeah, I think that can be infuriating. Matt actually helped me the other day. I thought a person was going to ask for a refund. I've never given a refund in 15 years. And it wasn't because of my work. She had an outside issue happen. And Matt happened to come to my house the day before, and I said, I- I'm nervous about this call. Because I think she's going to ask for her money back, and I don't do that. 
And he said, ask her questions. There's a, an elephant in the room you don't know about. You, you have to find out so what the black swan is. You have to find out. So really it's on us to ask questions. I thought mm -hmm. that was a huge impact to ask the questions rather than doing the pitch. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. It's interesting like with the elephant in the room and the idea that when, because even just on this church thing, this install that we're doing right now, the elephant in the room is they only have 8,000 bucks at this first phase of it to stick into it. So that's the elephant in the room. And then just knowing that in the back of your head and being able to label it and go, oh yeah, well you guys only have 8,000 bucks. And they go, oh yeah, there it is. Like that idea of recognizing the elephant in the room and then having the client go, especially when you vocalize back to the client, this is the elephant in the room. And then the client goes, oh yeah, there's the elephant in the room. That neutralizes everything and it makes it so much easier. And even this thing that I was just working on, and like watching them go through that process and you go, wow, that's such a, it's such a powerful technique to me. What if the client thinks $8,000 is, is a lot of money? Yeah, that's a good point. Well, still the idea, well, what this is what Chris would say about it is you identify the elephant in the room and then at least everyone's on the same page with it they may think that it's a lot of money and you may think that it's a little money or a lot of money, but regardless, you have to label it, right? That's what he's kind sure. of saying. I, I, think there's two, I think there's two layers though. And Marie, mm. um, she's getting to a point, I may have talked to you about this, Matt, that, that I project my thought of, um, in that case, right. value right, or how much is, so I do some legal work mm -hmm. on the side and I'm always trying to decrease the bill for my clients. Because I work with people who right. kind of fall in the cracks. And I realized I was putting my value on right. them. Mm -hmm. And so I think you bring up a good point. Mm -hmm. So how would you get to that when you're negotiating? I, th I think you get a feel for what they think. I, you, they're the questions. Mm -hmm. The perspective that they're coming from where this person might think, I have $8,000 for my budget. Look at, tell me all the things we can do with it. Mm -hmm. and, and you're coming back with, Here's Not where we got to start and here's what we got to do because you only have $8,000. <laughs> I mean, I watched a guy embarrass himself through a whole presentation. It was, it was two attorneys mm -hmm. and he was an um, insurance provider kind of guy. And his whole example throughout this whole thing was how outrageous a $100 steak dinner would be. Well, in his audience, that's the cost of doing business and that's an average per mm -hmm. person night out. Yeah, totally. And so the per, the, he's, he's outraged. And the audience is so beyond that thought plane. <laughs> <laughs> They're missing it. <laughs> yeah. I do like how they talk about this idea of the range, you yeah. know? So when somebody says, how much is this going to cost? Because I get that phone call almost daily. Mm -hmm. Almost daily, there's somebody on the phone that says, how much is this going to cost? And I always like to say, well, let me give you the range for what people have spent in the past. You know what I mean? Like that set of words to get it off of give me a specific number is a helpful thing as you're, mm -hmm. you know. I love that language. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. the language to right. that. You know, how much is this going to cost? And you say, well, let me tell you what people have done in the past. And then you tell me, do you want to be in the middle of the road of this pack? Do you want to be on the top end? Or, and then they're labeling themselves. <clears throat> and I think that's another, and maybe that isn't really talked about in the set of videos, but the idea of clients labeling themselves because then you can go back at the end of it and you can say, 
if they're unhappy with something, well, you guys kind of said that you wanted to be middle of the road on this, or we were trying to do this as, you know, cost economically as possible, and then do it as well as we could do it. It was more important to do. Plus, going into the building momentum, you're taking the opportunity to sell them and to do some storytelling. So let me tell you what other people have done. Mm -hmm. You're putting a visual in their mind of other opportunities and That's other good. things that they might not have thought of that they could do. Yeah. And so you're upselling yourself without technically doing it yeah. in that I also can provide this and this because mm -hmm. this is what other people have done. Yeah. I would think that would play for you, Carla, mm -hmm. a lot. It's uh, Claudia. Claudia, I'm <laughs> sorry. Who's, is, Carla was supposed to be here and isn't here. Sorry, Claudia. Okay. So now you're going to be Carla forever. <laughs> uh, Claudia, thank you for telling okay. me. Um, I would think that would be a big thing for you. Mm -hmm. And I also think, like, because you do events, and I would think a lot of wedding mm -hmm. events, a, a person can walk in and say, our budget for our reception is $30,000. They How, never say that, but I wish they did. I know. Yeah. 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 Keep it a secret. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But if they outraged by how much it costs, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if they come in and say that, how would they feel if it was thirty thousand? How would they feel if it was twenty eight? How would they feel if it was thirty five? So event psychology is weird. People are keep their cards very close to the chest, especially in the type of facility that I am, which is in a publicly funded facility. Um, you know, we're not like a rec room in a community center, but they, there's still a certain expectation of value. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I always, kept, we're not the new shiny toy, you know, but we are the biggest. So we, we always have that going for us. Mm -hmm. Um, that being said, people don't tell, talk, like to talk about how much money they're going to spend and they don't really want to know. Um, so they might ask for an estimate because the other thing about events is there are no two the same. No yeah. two wedding receptions are the same. No, no two, two no two YWCA events for year after year are the same. They they just don't exist. So you you can't live in a vacuum. You have to be willing to deal with it. So I like the terminology of this is what people typically spend. Yeah. Um, I can always write up an estimate. We can talk about it. But if if your wedding guests start a cake fight. At the end of the event, <laughs> I can't account for how much that's going to cost you. And, you know, there, there's so much variability with it that it's it can be really complicated, and that's why people don't want to talk about it. They don't, but they're they're happy to tell you that your prices are astronomical after the fact. But they they just don't ask me, and it may, it actually makes um, putting together bids really difficult for mm -hmm. conventions, especially. Because um, we just don't know what their expectations are going to be. Mm -hmm. You know, if, are they used to going to like a Ramada Inn in the middle of nowhere, Iowa, and like bringing in crockpots, <laughs> or are they used to going right. to like the Hilton in Bloomington, mm -hmm. and, where they spend seventy five dollars on a gallon of coffee? Like, where are their expectations at? So, I also think there's the matter of details that a common person wouldn't think about, and I think this is true in your business too, Matt. Like, so, but it's easier for me to, to say this in reference to you, Claudia, is that, um, like, when I found out how much it was going to cost me to have electricity in my, uh, my sales space mm -hmm. at the event center, I was appalled. Now, I'd paid, like, five times as much to be at the event center, but when they told me how much electricity was going to cost or having a blue drape behind you instead of a white, I, like, shut down. And I would think that has to do with momentum building, too. 
Definitely. You know, what having an understanding outside of your industry, right. what people know. Yes. And I think there's a lot of... Um, uh, what's the transparency that we try to have to help to facilitate that. So like we always say we're not nickel and dimers. If you get to your event and you need an extra table, you need an extension cord, we're just going to bring it to you. Um, and so what that does, cause those things really don't cost us very much money. Like it, it might be time, like five minutes to go grab that item. Um, but the amount of relief it provides to a client that they don't have to worry about how much an mm-hmm. extension cord is going to cost them while they're there is worth them coming back next time. That's great. So that's great. Yeah. Maureen, um, what do you do in reference to the the theme of momentum building? Well, the whole fundraising idea, you know, and speaking with somebody, um, not necessarily for a gift on that day or in the future, but the whole idea that they might come establish a fund with us and do a family philanthropic kind of project where they build their legacy and they get their kids involved. So yes, I'm, I'm looking for immediate donations, and it's hard because some people will start with, well, how much have other give, others given? And um, I did a whole project with banks in December, and the person that came with me didn't have anything to lose because he was a volunteer. He said, we're actually asking each bank for $10,000. He didn't blink, and most of them gave it to us. So it, it was having a starting point to do that. Some couldn't, or I could see in their body language that they were already tapped for the year. Mm-hmm. So then it was coming to what they could do and, and you know, talking. So a lot of the, the um, te- techniques that he talked about would be very helpful in that. I am a naturally hyper person. So him with the pacing mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. whole idea of using the, the lower tones the in your voice. The pacing is interesting. Yes. Mm-hmm. The pacing is a thing like having done, because I did the Karas training mm-hmm. in Texas. So I flew across the country and I did super high-end negotiation training for a while and with that type of training they never talked about the rhythm and pacing of the speech pattern but i think that that is genius right. in here the idea of the late night fm dj voice mm-hmm. and how you slow the my husband down. does that on me sometimes like, <laughs> <laughs> i did and I, but it drives me insane when he does it but i was like that's what i told him after i was like that's what you do and he was like yeah it works it was like, <laughs> Did you watch any of it with him? No, uh, he, we didn't have a chance to. He's going to though, and oh, he was like, oh, yeah. Really That's funny. I want to get to the voice thing in a in a few minutes because Matt and I actually had a ta- a conversation about voice and the feminine voice mm-hmm. and the impact that has on negotiation. So I want to get to that, but I want to follow up with with you, Marie. The um, you said that their body language mm-hmm. tells you something, right? And, and my mm-hmm. sense from this video is, what do you do when you think you know? what somebody is feeling or thinking in negotiation. Um, now I'll know about the whole, I, I don't like the term labeling, but the labeling is a, a great technique. The whole idea of that series yeah, of questions. Yeah, it has a huge reaction that I don't And I mm-hmm. never um, realized what a negative asking a why question is, but psychologically it makes so much sense. I just Little instantly heard in my mother's head, why did you do that? Uh huh. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it was that little piece of it. Not is to do a why. Yes, but I know. How do I do that? It makes much yeah. more sense. Yeah. Th- if you know. wanted, wanted to get that done, how would that? How would that get? Right. Done? Right. Right. Like, teach me how that could get done. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then you have the client go back and reteach you how that could get done. So if in this case, so if you're asking for ten thousand dollars and you're seeing their body language, 
change, mm-hmm. yeah. would you? What question would you ask? Would it be? Is is there an opportunity where we can talk? You have your hand up, don't you? Yeah. So one thing is, is, so if you go through, and this is from another set of training that we did, but uh, if you if they say, you know, hey, we're asking for ten thousand dollars, they cringe, right? And you know that this isn't going to work based on all of the other interactions with them. If you say, um, and then you backpedal a little bit and you say, but for that isn't true for all cases. In fact, we did a, a bank three years ago that we started them off at three grand, and then the next year they did another six thousand dollars towards it, and we got them up to the ten grand. So if you see that the cringe and the wince isn't is too strong and doesn't match up, that you just know that you're never going to be able to put it together, use the word but and then negate the last thing that you said. And then through that process of going or backpedaling, now you have another door to to reopen it up. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. ten grand is too much, but that isn't always true in, in every case. In fact, we did one event on a Friday night in the middle of an off season, and uh, you know we actually got them in at this type of cost because we had to have minimal staff that was there. I, I think that works. Um, I also think you could ask the question, "How does that feel?" Mm-hmm. Um, how does that align with what you were thinking? That's the direction yeah, that's I did like too. Yeah. Really good. Mm-hmm. yeah, because then you can talk them through it. One of the one of the things I use when I'm coaching is um, if they say no, they're just saying no to that right now. So if you say ten thousand, they cringe. You ask them the question, um, how does that? Or I guess with him with labeling, you can even say it seems like that. Um, isn't going to work for you isn't, personally. Right. And and maybe that's too much of an assumption to make, but I think you could do it. But it, that's, yeah, that I would be, I would want to do that, mm-hmm. is ask that. But then to say, um, if, is it that you would never be able to do 10,000? Or is there a way that we could do 10,000, but be creative in how you get there? Get there. Mm-hmm. And which goes to your example of, we had somebody yeah. who did 3,000 one year and then we built them up. I like what you just said. Like, yeah, I do yeah, too. we could never do ten thousand. Mm-hmm. Is is that true for you, or is there a creative way that we could get there mm-hmm. with you know putting whatever yeah. into it? Because it isn't no. No doesn't mean no. It may mean no right now. It may mean mm-hmm. no um, based on what we've already talked about. Like I have to get creative. So so like current the way that Crass would would teach it is they say no means no. so. They teach it no when you hear the minute no we can't make that work, you change no to now, and then you say now we start the negotiation. So no becomes a now. Now we start the negotiation. And as far as momentum building goes, I think a lot of people are willing to get creative, but they don't know how. So if you mm-hmm. come to them with the idea, they're all over it. Mm-hmm. But they just they they could they don't have time. They don't have the bandwidth to get there themselves. Yeah. This isn't from the video, but I'm. I'm wondering, see, I'm an over, I say it all the time, I'm an over communicator. I believe, um, like when we were negotiating before we went on tape, right? Right. Or on, um, I don't know how you say it, if you're not on old. recording. On recording. Before we were recording, we were negotiating. I over communicate because I come off so strong that I, when I usually, when I'm collaborating with someone, I'll say, I only know how to sound certain. But it doesn't mean, that I have skin in the game. So always feel like you can, like I'm an over communicator. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was trying to do the same thing when, before we went on recording. I, I'm fine 
but what what do you guys want? This isn't my game. So I think when you are, and I'm looking at you again, Claudia, is when you're talking to someone, this may be the first big event. This may be for you the first big donation they're going to make. Over communicating that you don't look poor, you don't look whatever. Mm -hmm. um, somehow communicating that I think could help build momentum because you're telling them you are exactly what I expect. Yeah, one of the big things that I train my staff to do, and they're more so on the in the moment thing, but it's how to make people feel comfortable. Because if they don't feel comfortable, they're not gonna they're not gonna be open to your ideas, and they're not gonna be open to doing business with you. So how do you really? get them to that comfort level so that they can move forward with you. Mm -hmm. um, to become a partner. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it is a lot of people's first event. I would think. I work with a lot of first timers. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I would think. Um, so of everything in the video, in relation to the idea of building momentum, what was the most impactful part of the class for you guys? Uh, for me personally, it was having somebody else give me a thumbs up that uh, within the negotiation when it comes down to coming up with the numbers to do something that it's okay to not sound self-assured and I've had tremendous luck over the years sounding not self-assured in and kind of talking about ranges and talking about kind of how this could get done and it seems like 80 or 90, not 90, even 95% of all the training that I've ever done says when you come up with a number, you're going to say, this is what it's going to be, right? And how that can put people on the defensive of you're coming off as so strong and hearing somebody else that's a really good negotiator saying, when you talk about the numbers coming off as saying, you know, here's the range or here's kind of what I'm tentatively thinking you know, we're going to put $1,500 or 8000 or 10000 you know, whatever the number is, and not being overly confident about it, and that's an okay way of negotiating, um, was really, really helpful to me. Because everything that I've ever been taught is, you know, you kind of put the number out there, and then you stand your ground, and then mm -hmm. you, and even, um, uh, this is a funny thing, but Brad, who's my buddy, you, mm -hmm. don't, you don't know Brad, but he's my buddy, he came over and when we were doing his thing, I had the last 10 minutes of a negotiation with a client and the bill was $3,800, so not the end of the world. But at the end of it, he said, Matt, you didn't sound very confident in that being your price. And I said, yes, but Brad, I totally got the show. And he said, but everything that I know about this, and then he kind of went on about how you need to feel, you know, you need to put your price out there and, and kind of be strong about that. And I said, I just did a bunch of training and I, again, went with my gut feeling of not, of having it be okay to be soft about that so that they feel like you're coming alongside them instead of you feeling like, here, I'm putting the stake in the ground. But it's the only time I've ever heard that taught in training, which was really, really helpful for me. I like that. So. I, I, I think you also become a partner. Yep. Again, totally. So a partner back. isn't going to say, this is what, I'm yeah. not putting mm -hmm. a stake in the ground. A partner is going to say, here's what I think that we should do and be very soft about it. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. it's a different way of communicating. Mm -hmm. What'd you uh, learn? Um, were you going to say something? Um, what was so, the big takeaway? Oh, I wanted to follow up on you what you said, and then we'll go back to that. that okay. I think for all four of us with what we do, that was that's a big win, what, mm -hmm. what he just said. It's a huge win because yeah. nobody teaches it that way. Right, yeah, and I think it's I think it's important. So if you think about you know you with event planning, 
you know, what is your vision? We want this to be a special day for you. Let's partner and figure out how to do it. For you, it's, I realize you want to make an impact, you know, or what, however you use right. your language. Mm -hmm. I want to help you do that mm -hmm. and for it to be meaningful for you. Right. How can we do that? You know, and the same for me. I want that when I had that negotiation about that woman who I thought was going to want a refund, I said, let's get, it was her sister she was sponsoring, let's get your sister well and then we'll get her to where she wants to go. Mm -hmm. And and I think whenever you partner like that, I think you are building momentum because all of a sudden they can be more honest with you. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. But it doesn't have to be perceived as strong. That's the beautiful part of mm -hmm. all of it. Mm -hmm. But everyone thinks like, oh, well, we're going to put these numbers on paper and right. even that could be considered strong. Right. So. Yeah. How about you, Claudio? What was the most... He had a couple of like little tiny moments where he talked about when somebody said, uses I, like... I've been working really hard for the company, or I do a lot with this. That's not the person you want to talk to. Uh huh. This is yeah. huge. Yeah. This is yeah. so huge. You mm -hmm. want to talk to the we person. Like, right. We're gonna do a lot for you. We we really we really work together to to make this happen. Um, the the person who recognizes the team mm -hmm. as being the source, not just the individual is the one who's actually in charge. <laughs> yes. ah. that, that is mind-blowing. Yes. Yeah. Like, when he talked about that, how mm. how if they're like, you know, I did this, mm. then they're stuck, stuck in the cubicle, you know? And that's the one time that they get to use the word I. Right. But if they're like, we, then they're usually the person that's actually in control of the situation. That is a mind-blowing. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It, that's where you pause the podcast and you go... Right, I need to absorb that and like really think about it for a while because right. yeah. that's huge. Yes. It's totally huge. Yes. And it's something, again, that I've never heard taught in all of the other... It totally makes sense, though, because first of all, very little things are done independently. Like, like you can't really accomplish any work successfully independently. Mm -hmm. But second of all, if you're not worried about your ego, then you're just going to say, yeah, we all did it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. How about you, Marie? What was the big thing? The false yes. And so I do run into that with, with fundraising. The person wants to save face or they want to get out of the moment. So they either make a yes and it turns out it's not. Or they just want you to go away. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they lead you to believe that it's, it's all a yes or that they're going what to did, do it. What did he say? Or what did this... I, I guess I don't remember on the false yes. Yeah. Like, well, what, he, what you know, he, he said, you know, there's the no and then there's the false yes. So let me find that. Okay, it can be a counterfeit yes. The person says it because they feel trapped and they'll get out of the commitment later. And so you have to... Yes. And sometimes you're so happy to hear yes, you want to get the hell out. So the whole idea that you um, make sure they understand what the yes means, um, make sure that you could do it through questions of, so how would you like to be recognized with this donation? Is there someone I should work with to work on the press release or is there to that kind of to make sure you're acknowledged properly to get a lot of the follow-ups to the yes to make sure it's a real yes mm. now in, in you guys's relationships you would probably have contracts um you don't but you, mm -hmm. you know and and so and I don't necessarily I have a pledge card that they don't always fill out they still give me the mm -hmm. money so even that's not an indicator of it being real real mm -hmm. but I got a banker right now he's committed to the volunteer because he doesn't want it. he wants to save face with the volunteer. Mm -hmm. 
but I can't get him to fill the pledge card out, and I can't get him to respond to me. Oh, yeah. So I'm oh, thinking it's a that. false yes. I mm. love the question, how would you like to be recognized mm. when this is all said and done? Because, like, we could even use that for production stuff, you know, for, you know, when this is all said and done, like, how would you like to be recognized for this project that we work on? Mm. Like, that's a fun mm-hmm. way That's a of, good way of doing it. That's mm-hmm. a good way of doing it. Like, what would you like people to... You know, how would you like to be, I mean, are we going to go for an award on this? Or mm. do we want your mom to say that was the single greatest thing that we've ever, you know what I mean? Right. You know, how would you like to be recognized? And I'm not sure what it is in wedding world, but I like that question. Mm. That feels mm-hmm. good to me. Uh, well, in their case, is signage. It's mm-hmm. um, the idea that it is their day. How many times are the bride and groom going to be mentioned? The whole idea of making it personal. Mm-hmm. Um, in in my world, uh, they want their name on things. Sometimes, sometimes mm-hmm. they want to be anonymous. Sometimes, in the case of a bank, they want a press release. Um, the challenge with that is where he said, um, you know, you throw in non tangible sometimes to sweeten the deal or to make it more beneficial. And I actually was in situations earlier in my career where the person demanded so many non tangibles, it it outweighed the the donation they were mm-hmm. giving. You know, they wanted so much free stuff or free tickets or mm-hmm. um, their name all over stuff. It was like, well, the value. And then you go back you... and ask the question, mm-hmm. how am I supposed to do this? Right. Mm-hmm. right. <laughs> it's right. a good question. Right. Explain to yeah. me how I'm yes. supposed to do this. Yeah. I love yeah. that question. Or the, is it ridiculous, using the no, like, is it ridiculous for you to give this donation tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The mm-hmm. Roger it. Or is that his name? Mr. Hershevik? Right, right, right. Part, yes. Where he was wanting to go to um, the training. Yeah. And yes, yes. The, the free part I thought was cool too where... He got one free ticket. Yep. And he said, how many can I buy? But so, then he wouldn't commit. So you're thinking it's a fake yes. Yes. But he nailed him down to it. Yeah. So how does that work with for building momentum? Can you think? Well, or is it just... in this case, he, he, he was having this seminar. And he gave this guy a very expensive free ticket. And the guy in return came back and said, how many can I buy? Which is a great... Yeah, that's great. Okay. But then he couldn't get them nailed down and that thing was selling out. And his staff saying, we got to know if they're coming to save these tickets. Otherwise, we're out of them and we could have sold them. So he gets on and the hair get up was an urgency thing. He needed this guy to respond to him at a certain time. He said, uh, can you do it today? And... and mm-hmm. um, you know, within 20 minutes, the whole thing transpired. But but the point was, he was he was stressing to him, okay, you, you get this benefit, you want to come back with it. He put the words in his mouth. Is this something you can do today? And the, yeah. and the guy was like, yes. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Would that work with your banker? Yes. Is this something you can do this year? Is this mm-hmm. something you can do right now? Mm-hmm. Is this something you can commit to Yes. right now? Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, I like that. Um, Okay, so now I want to go to this whole voice thing because the the voice thing is a huge issue for me, um, and and what Matt and I discussed before I watched this video was I I find with women in particular, although Matt said that this happens to men too, um, our voices go up when we are stressed mm. or angry or trying to get attention, so and the, the cadence to it and the. Volume and cadence. Yeah, the, the volume. Yeah, I guess all three: volume, tonality, and, and cadence. cadence. Right, all of it. All of it raises. And um, have you had that hurt you? Do you have you ever had experiences where your voice has given you away or lost you momentum? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Totally. I, I was fortunate to have it happen really early in my career. Um, I was a lifeguard manager right out of college. Mm. <laughs> and, <Hi. yeah. laughs> and it was at a, like a pretty good sized complex. Mm-hmm. And we had an incident where a kid, you know, he had to get rescued and we had to call the fire department and I had to call his dad. And while I'm on the phone with his dad, his dad told me, I need you to slow down. I don't understand what you're saying. Can you start over? And I was like, I'm supposed to be telling this man that he needs to come pick his kid up because he just got hurt. Mm -hmm. And I'm too freaked out. I'm too frazzled Mm -hmm. to communicate effectively to him. And so I, I think about that. A lot of times when I'm I'm having like when I'm feeling a little overwhelmed or I'm frazzled or anxious or something, slow down. It's not their their it's not their job to decipher this. I need to be able to communicate this to them effectively. So slow down, lower my tone because I'm already I have a little bit of a high pushed tone, uh, and communicate effectively so that you can get this information to them. So I think about that a lot. That, mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, I um. I still struggle with that whole repeating one to three words the way he does. And he he's upfront about that in the video that it's gonna this is gonna seem weird and yeah. but I still am struggling with that. Um It's so beautiful. <laughs> it's so beautiful. I haven't had it not work. I just think that would be a You haven't had it not work? <laughs> <laughs> it's worked every time. That's what I'm trying to say. That was very good. Yes. Very good, Mary. <laughs> exactly what I was trying to say. Um, is there another source of, or another type of inflection, though, that works? Or was he truly saying it has to be that inflection of a question? I got the sense from the video he was, but. No, because he talked about the yoga retreat and where he was like, mm-hmm. the food's really good. Because the guy was going on and on about the food. And so he just kind of repeated that. Mm-hmm. Like, just parroted them I just think that's annoying but I guess I gotta I have to try it um Amy it's a little hard to try it I'm gonna be honest with you but it's probably one of the most powerful things in Leslie we think though it's kind of like do I want to sign up for a really long conversation you know like you almost get to Mm, choose like yes choose your own ending (laughs) yeah but if, if the idea is have them feel connected to you right but is it false because it's not both like if, especially if I, I did it to you you know like we're having a one-sided conversation at that point yeah but i get to feel so good you can do it to me anytime i don't like it people people like to talk and the other thing too that i think about that of repeating those last one to three words with the downward inflection um is it allows you to look for the black swan True. Which is why I'm saying, like, in a professional setting, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. In a personal setting, though, it, it, it could create very lopsided relationships. Yes. I can <laughs> yeah. do it with your husband. <laughs> I know nothing about, you know nothing about me, but mm-hmm. you're great. Right. And in, in your world, I could see where it might be a challenge when you're dealing with the legal types. Because when I left the law firm and went to the foundation, the first thing that was the most difficult for me was that people had long conversations. I was used to talking to people that build in six minute increments. Mm-hmm. So anything I had to say had to be concise, mm-hmm. fast, and get it out. Yes. And so to be in a world where you're doing mirroring or you're, you're drawing more information from people, totally different communication style. It's a totally different communication style. That's what I like about it. Because mm-hmm. in my world, it's, you know, my, one of my favorite 
clients that still bill from Wilcon mm-hmm. from the time that I pick up the phone till the time that I know what my next step is. I mean, we're under 30 seconds and that's been that way for years and years and years. I love that. Right. Mm-hmm. That's my jam. So this allows me to be better at like what Carol does, which is this long drawn out, usually what I would consider boring, you know what I mean? Where you just sit and listen. But again, if you put it under the guise of you're looking for the black swan, now all of a sudden there's a very justified reason Now you've for gamified it. it for yourself. Listen, <laughs> yeah, probably. Well, I, there's, for me, there's two parts to this. The, the first is that you are going to get more information out of them. So you, in negotiation, mm-hmm. you're going to be a much better off. But the other thing was um, uh, interesting people are interested in people. Yes. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a great quote. And, and so this hit me really hard because... I, um, in my, in my professional life, which I've had about 80, um, I often have to be in social settings where I'm always trying to be the, oh, have you met, she does this, this, this. And I realized that when I introduce people, I over explain who they are to try to find something interesting that connects the two people. I did. Huh? And it's, I think it's the wrong thing to do. Um, um. Because, Why? Why is it the wrong thing to do? Because you are developing for them the story rather than asking the person questions and letting them answer so the other person can be engaged They build too. that rapport as they're answering the questions. So if you've set them, it's almost like you've set them up on a date. Here you've told them all this, told them all that, or if they can do it more um, organically, right. where they, they share that information, it helps ease the tension of them meeting each other and they help to build rapport. So instead of me introducing you and saying, Matt does blah, 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 and he's married to Carol, and he lives near me, and blah, 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 blah. Instead, the person that you don't know, I say, now, now what do you do? Um, explain that to Matt. Mm-hmm. And, and you engage them, because otherwise, you're doing a monologue and then saying, and now go. Right. And it, it, and it doesn't include them. Yeah. And it's overwhelming. That was a huge moment for me. One thing that totally relates to this that I've done thousands of times, and I shouldn't even admit to this because it's a little diabolical, but at these weddings, it's really, really fun to like come up, start to visit with somebody, and the minute that I'm bored, I'm going to I just, if there's somebody else really close, I'll say, hey, did you meet my friend? I'm sorry, I didn't catch your name. Now I have these two people talking to each other, and that at least makes it a little bit more interesting. Right? I'm sorry, I didn't catch your name. Because the other person assumes that I at least know them a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then this person assumes, so there's this weird three-way triangle of communication. And you just can bring somebody else. I'm sorry, I didn't catch your name. Oh, this is Jen. And um, how do you know these guys? So if they think so, good intent, they think you're just trying to get people to interact. But really, in your case, it's diabolical. Yeah, I'm going to get the hell out of here. It's getting a little yeah. slow. It's <laughs> like a candle under this, yeah, this I conversation. I don't want to talk to them anymore. Yeah. It's just because you have 11 cats and never left your basement. <laughs> <laughs> really make you an interesting person. Uh, so he then talked about, and, and Maureen, you brought this up too about um, you're kind of hyper. Mm-hmm. So I think some natural things we do when we're, we're trying to build momentum, right? We're trying to get the buy-in. So I think that's another way of saying we're trying to get buy-in. Um, although I, th- I think in the context of business, um, building momentum can be getting your team excited about something that's about to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the case of trying to build momentum, so we're building momentum and we think we're at the close. 
and really everything's the close, right? But we think we're finally gonna have a number. They're gonna say yes to the 10,000, whatever it is. And then you're supposed to go silent. And that is really hard because what you wanna do is you wanna close and then run. Right. So do you have a fallback, we have to all be honest now, um, do you have a fallback habit in those kind of nervousness, almost to the close moments that you know you have to overcome? I do. What's yours? Um, the close is the last 10 seconds of it, and it should already kind of be in the bag. So the setup to it is you've talked about whatever this number is, and it's real conversational.